The XY Advisor crowdfund is now live. To become an investor, head to virtual.com forward slash company forward slash XY Advisor. Make sure you read the offer documentation. It would be great to have you on as an investor. So feel free to join the cap sheet. Okay, onto the podcast. Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast, to join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. This episode is proudly sponsored by Integrity Life. Just like XY Advisor, Integrity isn't afraid to push for positive change in our industry, especially when it comes to the cost of life insurance. Right now, many Australians are underinsured, but Integrity is working to change all that with sustainable pricing and discounts that last as long as the policy. Next time you need a quote, why not give Integrity a try? Head to integritylife.com.au forward slash XY. Today, Clayton here from XY Advisor, chatting with Neil from The Advisors, formerly the AMP FPA and the formerly the Hill Ross, but now the Combined Advisors Association. Mate, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Clayton. Nice to see you again. Yes, absolutely. So um, last time we caught up, uh, had a podcast, it was a little while ago, and uh, you were sort of spearheading the organization of what is now officially underway, which is the class action from the AMP financial planners to the AMP financial advice. Um, how does it feel, I guess, to, to know that it's handed off now to other hands um, for it to go through the courts? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's good. Um, it, it was a bit sort of frantic, I think, last time we spoke and we were running around trying to figure out who we should be using, what our rights were, what the chances were for our members. We ended up picking cause, as you recall. Then just as they were sort of going through the process, there was a lot of questions about class actions generally, and I think there's been four um, legal rulings passed down about them, which sort of delayed things a little bit. And you sit there and going, well, okay, it's, it's imminent, it's, it's close. And then suddenly, you know, it became a lodgement of the three documents in the federal court in Victoria. Um, and... You know, after that, really, it's a bit of a, for, for me personally, a bit of an anticlimax because <laughs> the job is done. You know, it, it's now over to the lawyers and uh, we just wait for the legal process to go through. Surely they'll pull you back in for the, uh, the handing over of the, the novelty-sized check. You, know, you, you, you could stand there and the lawyers could hand it to you and you could say, thank you, thank you. I, I, to be honest, I, I won't get called in to be handed the big check. Um, the, the reality, I think, is, you know, I might be called as a witness, or, um, but that'll be about the level of my participation, I think. Well, mate, I, I mean, from, from the advisor's point of view, they're probably very happy with the work that you've put in. So, uh, I mean, you should be, should be pretty proud of yourself because, I mean, that, that was a huge... That was a huge thing, not just for AMP and AMP planners, but it was a huge thing for financial services. I mean, that AMP offer was a very interesting offer. And it is a very interesting, or was, I should say, a very interesting offer where they said, we guarantee 
the, well, we underwrite the value of this asset. And so our bank will loan you the money because we guarantee it. And then all of a sudden they pulled away that valuation guarantee, but they said, oh, but the bank still expects you to, to pay it back. And my thought process was, well, I mean, if you're, if you're going to pull out one side of the balance sheet, you have to pull out the other side of the balance sheet as well. Like surely any, any destruction to the value that your terms are creating, it should yeah. then flow through to your bank. Um, they disagreed. Uh, you disagreed with that disagreement. And uh, here we are today. Uh, how long do you think that this class action is going to take before we have a, a, a ruling, if that's what it's called? We get asked that quite a lot. And it's a bit like a piece of string. Um, so, you know, I think the process generally is the, you know, you lodge your papers, you ask for a date to be for the hearings and so on. Um, there's a discovery period where both A&P and course can ask for additional information. Um, I think the vast majority of class actions um, settle before the judgment is passed. So typically what happens is you, you've gone through a process you know, a knows what the plaintiff's argument is and the other side knows what a argument is and you end up doing a settlement of some sort. Um, now, having said that, a has said they'll strongly defend the position um, and obviously that could be, you know, a year, two years before something comes out of it. Yeah, right. Oh, well, it's, uh, it's front page news till then. There's actually bigger things going on in broader financial planning, though, of course. Uh, one of the things that we were chatting about the other day, which was this concept of, it's kind of interesting, right? Because the more, the more restrictions are handed down to financial planning in Australia, that different segments of the advice market like to carve out easy versions for themselves. So, you know, like the, the accountants go, ah, well, we don't want all of that restriction. So we'll carve out our own little one over here. And then the, the super funds say, well, we don't really want to get lumped in with all the restrictions over here. So we're going to carve out for ourselves, uh, intra fund advice, um, which is such a, I hate the term. I hate the term intra fund advice because it, it just reminds me of, the intranet. Do you remember the intranet? Like the little, little. Well, I do because I'm a little bit older than you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a school would have an intranet. It's like an internet for the school. You're like, oh, okay. But for, for this intra fund advice, right? So, so basically uh, their argument is, well, if you walk into a Ford dealership and you walk out with a Ford car, there's no cognitive dissonance. It makes sense. And so they're saying, well, Super Fund A, if they call Super Fund A and they end up with all of their supers consolidated into Super Fund A, that it makes sense. How do you feel about that? What's your opinion? We, we put um, a paper to Treasury at the end of February this year around that. And what we were trying to do when we put the response in was to say, how did we get to where we've got to as an industry? And um, if, if you look at it, even the... Corps Act talks about financial product advice. It doesn't talk about financial advice. And so there's this massive disconnect between what most financial planners do and what they're regulated for. So, you know, having worked both in the IFA or EFA world as it is now 
and an AMP previously, I actually don't have a problem with somebody walking into, you know, McDonald's and buying a burger or walking into a Ford dealer and getting told, yeah, we've got 16 inch alloys on our wheels. The problem is it's labeled as advice. Yeah. It should be information about my product. If it was information about my product rather than advice, then we'd have a lot less confused consumers because I think the consumer's expectation is I'm going for advice and you will tell me not just about the product, you will tell me about my options, you'll, t- you'll make sure I'm kept on track and I'll end up with a better outcome than I started with. And so we've got this mismatch between things like bid and obligations that a financial planner has and different obligations for an employee of uh, an industry fund or a retail fund doing fund advice. Yeah. The best description I've heard for it would be something along the lines of if I call up Jenny Craig and order their pre-made meals or whatever it is that Jenny Craig does, I've got no idea, but I assume that they send pre-made meals um, or light and easy. I think that might be the name of the company. So hey, if you, you know <laughs> <laughs> so you call up light and easy and you say, I want to eat healthy. And so can you send me uh, pre you know, made meals in the mail or whatever it is. And then you eat it compared to going to a dietitian where a dietitian will do a bunch of blood tests and give you advice. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind that, and in everyone's mind, it's very clear. If I call up light and easy, I'm getting what I call up for. But if I go to a dietitian and I want things specifically in my best interest, then I would, I would be annoyed if I call up the dietitian and the dietitian worked for light and easy. Yeah. Because then there's a, there's a mismatch or there's what I expect and what I receive. And so advice, and we both know what advice is, um, and everyone knows what advice is, but for whatever reason, every, it's, it's almost like there's confusion purposefully entered into the equation. That's the only, because it doesn't make rational sense. Like who on earth would call uh, light and easy intra-food advice, hmm. right? That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just, it's, just uh, it's, it's, it's not intra-food advice it is uh you're just ordering a service and paying for a service do you think that there's confusion entered into the equation on purpose or do you just think people aren't considering the confusion when they're using these terms i don't think it's been done on purpose i think one of the challenges we've got i think there's seven different regulators for a start right and so each of them looks at the problem from a slightly different perspective, you know, whether it's the uh, tax practitioners board, um, whether it's, you know, the AFA or the FBA code of conduct, whether it's APRA, whether it's ASIC, whether it's the banking one. So I think th- there's nobody looking at the total picture and trying to make it simple. The second thing is um, I think the view has been, well, that wasn't working. Let's have more legislation or more regulation rather than addressing the root cause of the problem. And, and to use your example, or a slightly different example, you know, if, I, if I've got a headache and I walk into a chemist, I know I'm probably going to get a Panadol. <laughs> yeah. If, if I've got a headache and I walk into a doctor, I know I'm probably going to have, you know, CAT scans, 
more options and, and solutions which might not even rely on a product. It might just be eat better, Neil. Don't get stressed. Have a sleep. Um, and so I think there's a combination of things that has evolved over the years, which has created this complexity and then over-regulation and lack of clarity about who's who in, in the zoo, for want of a better word. And I think the only way to, to get rid of it is to start chopping away some of the confusing things. So our, our board has a very strong view that intra-fund advice hasn't a place, but it shouldn't be called advice. You know, robo-advice has a place, but it shouldn't be called advice. You know, financial planning has a very strong place, but it doesn't need to be attached to a financial product. And so as much as you can, you should separate the product from the advice. And as you know, that the product these days is, is pretty competitive. So it's, you know, there's a best interest duty. There's not much difference between the products. And if there is, it doesn't take long for them to sort of shuffle themselves around and get competitive again either. Yeah. When, when we get to this sort of policy um, sort of stuff, it's kind of interesting because at its most simple, you either have the courts as one level to create or change law, and then you have the lower and upper house as another method of changing or creating laws. And so when we, when we really uh, got our heads, when XY sort of really got our heads into um, getting upfront uh, advice to be tax deductible, we kind of looked at both of those options. And then it turned out that the better option was, was to challenge the tax determination 1995 in court. Mm-hmm. Now that's going on in the background I'm very much looking forward to, um, to at some stage having an update there and being able to provide an update there. But the strategy was courts. Now, I didn't know that. Someone far smarter than me figured that out, right? And I was like, that makes sense. Um, let's go down there. Now, when we're talking about um, the terms financial product interlinked with financial advice at a legislative level, we're talking about the Corpse Act, aren't we? Yeah, well, effectively, most of it comes out of the Corpse Act. Um, there's the CIS Act as well. So if, if you like, the intra-fund advice, I think, is a carve-out under CIS, not a carve-out under the Corpse Act. Um, right. I'm a lawyer, but I think somebody else made that comment. Um, and, and that's the sort of confusion that's there, that where do you look and, 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 and which law takes precedence? Yeah. But the problem with the Corpse Act is really it is about financial product advice at the core that's where it all starts going horribly wrong but i think for most advisors right and so then uh then the question becomes okay in order to overturn that because it just simply needs to be overturned i don't think there's even a conversation anymore it's just like financial planning is not financial product in fact you can do a lot of financial planning without a single product um Products are very helpful and, and, and are needed a lot of the time. You'd say probably three quarters of the time to reach an end goal, but they're not the same thing. And so uh, it just needs to get challenged, whether we challenge it in court or whether we challenge, uh, and it's not really a challenge then, but then whether you uh, get the attention of the treasury or whoever it is that looks after the goddamn Corpse Act and CIS Act to then you know, introduce a bill to get voted on, that's going to be really difficult. So I hope that there's a court challenge. So I hope someone who's far more intelligent than I, again, listens to this and goes, oh, well, yeah, if you want this overturned 
in the Corpse Act, then you can challenge, this is what you need to challenge in court. That would be excellent because that seems like, a vi- and it is, it's just an easier way to get a law overturned rather than getting the attention of some yeah, look- politician. It's like, you just go straight to the, straight to the, the courts and you, they have to defend it or, or you overturn it. I don't think we're, t- we're trying to say, let's get to the Corpse Act, right? <laughs> the Corpse Act is actually quite a big act. And yes, it's, yes. And chapter seven, that's the first bit that, that matters. Uh, but what we are saying is that there needs to be some recognition that financial advice is not just about product. Totally. And if we don't get that, it will encourage people to stop being financial advisors and become financial coaches and not be regulated at all. That, that's been my massive concern. Yeah. So, so there's that bit. So it, it is really much more a case of what's in there that causes the problems and the confusion. And can we then clarify that, that says, you know, if you want to work for uh, a Westpac and only sell BT, then it's probably a bad example now with all the changes occurring. Yeah, that's a good point. But, uh, but then, then you need to look and say this, and you can't say this. Yeah. And, and if you want to do robo-advice and you're – because one of the other problems is we've now got robo-advisors who've come into the market and pulled out because they can't actually provide the advice because the regulations are too – legislation is too complex. Yeah. And, and so we've got to recognise there is a group of consumers who no matter what we do – will always want to do it themselves. How do you get them to get the information to make an informed decision? And that could be a verbal advice. It could be um, reading the paper. It could be asking a question from, you know, BT or Westpac or AMP. Can you tell me about your product? There's another group of people who no matter what happens, will just want the reassurance of a financial advisor being there. Yeah. And then there's another group that'll go, sometimes I just want to get advice and then I'll go away and do it episodically. And, um, you know, when circumstances change, I'll come back and have some more advice. And, and we don't seem to have the models to do that and, and the legislation and the regulations to allow it to occur in a cost-effective and efficient way. Here's a bit of a controversial question. Do you think that there's powers that be are, are doing everything they can to complicate financial advice so that it doesn't flourish as a profession? No, I'm not a great conspiracy theorist. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think, I think there is a, the problem is everybody looks at the problem from their own perspective. And so what I've always done is to say, well, if somebody thinks that what, what's their driver for it, you know, what are they trying to protect or what are they trying to grow? And I think that's part of the problem. It, it's very difficult. Um, you know, if you think about what's happened with all of the banks and, and even AMP to some extent, that you know they saw vertical integration as a good way to look after customers, provide their products, and you know probably a percentage of their clients were happy with that. Um, the problem is there was no burning pressure to to make sure your products were competitive. Yeah. Now the funny thing is bid change that for every advisor because you know if, if AMP doesn't have a competitive product for the consumer I have to recommend one that puts them in a better place 
So the law's changed already, but we're still getting the sort of backlog of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, my question comes from just a natural <clears throat> annoyance with so much illogical decisions and complications. I think if I look at it just at a very you know, basic point of view, it is let's stop uh, any opportunity of anyone, including a financial planner, um, ripping off people. So that, that, that just, that's a basic overview, right? So how do we stop financial planners, the worst financial planners out there that are trying to rip off people, which does happen, happens in every profession, including ours, right? So, so, so how do we make things so difficult for them that they can't do it? I get it. And everyone supports that. And the decisions or the, op, the, the way that that's achieved in between is where all the complications arise. And I, I'm not of the view that no matter how much you try to legislate something, there'll be people that'll be able to uh, uh, rip people off. I actually think that we can fix the problem. I, in a lot of ways, it's just not entirely uh, that impossible. I would love to see a singular um, body that looks after uh, you know, all the rules and regulations and legislation for financial planning. I think that would be a great start. And, and probably, I don't know if that's unpopular or not, but I'd be completely fine with it being one of the associations. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, like the FPA is the biggest one. No disrespect for, to any of the other ones out there, but I, I, I would be more than happy to see them uh, looking after everything like they do in South Africa. In South Africa, they have a huge role. There's not even licenses in yeah. South Africa, right? Like they, the, the FPA, I think it's called the F, FPI or something over there. Um, they, they already have such a huge influence, um, in the industry, but <clears throat> over here in Australia, our associations is just like they're, you know, they're almost the toothless tigers. You know, I know they say that about ASIC, but like, I actually think it's probably more the, uh, the associations that they, their hands are bound and they want to try to help, uh, obviously, and it's the reason for them to exist. And in a lot of ways that they can't, um, and so it just seems to me that the complications can be solved with a few people in the room who actually know what they're talking about. And that's not me, right? I, I'm, I'm just X, Y advisor. There's much people, there's people better suited for this position, but it, but there just seems to be so many decisions that are handed down to financial planning that seem like they're coming from people that don't know anything about financial planning, which causes a hell of a lot of problems. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, in Nirvana, there would be financial planners who are self-regulated and would be seen as a profession. And you then say, well, okay, what does that mean? Well, self-regulated means that they get rid of the baddies. We don't wait for somebody else to get rid of the poor advisors. It would be a protected term. You know, you can't call yourself a doctor unless you're a doctor. Um, you know, it, it would be, it would require everybody with some self-interest to put that self-interest to one side for the common good. And, and to be fair to, you know, the AFAs and the FPAs of the world, I think over the last year or two, they have started to have, you know, this is what's common. This is what's important. Yeah. You know, and it varies around edges, but you know, how do we accelerate that? So it's, it's solid. And then I think the third thing, and, and the concern I always have is there's lots of very intelligent people and there's lots of money around in this industry. So people will always, 
if they don't have a good moral compass, will try and figure out how to get around the rules. So they will go and pop up somewhere else, you know, they become a property developer and call themselves financial advisors. I mean, all of that stuff goes, and, and so you've got to not just be able to self-regulate your bit of the, the process, but where it happens at the edges as well. Yeah, definitely. But uh, I mean, every single financial planner worth their salt would say yes to that. <clears throat> you know, no one wants a property developer calling themselves a, a financial advisor. I mean, the, the, the scariest concept of, of walking into or getting involved in property as a financial planner is that it's so linked mm. to bad outcomes that no, that so many advisors are just like, no, nah, I'm not even going near property, which is kind of a knee jerk reaction because, you know, typically a property is most Australians biggest asset that they'll ever have. But because, you know, there's this uh, almost a reputation with financial planners in quotation marks, financial planners and property that a lot of advisors don't, don't want to go near it. And, that's kind of like both of those things are crazy, right? Planners should be involved in property, but involved in property uh, in a way that understands what the client's trying to achieve and then has no links unlike a property developer. But that's not even a, a, a critique on property developers. Go for it. We need them. Like the Australia's booming you know, 24-7. I think we hit the, 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 um, the population levels of 2050 uh, I think we hit in 2020. And so, yes, we need property and, and the, 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 um, the market needs to take care of that. But, uh, but in terms of confusing that, again, that, that, is, that is Weight Watchers. That is Jenny Craig. You know, if someone wants a property, go to a property developer. If someone wants advice, you do need that separation. But the problem is now with quote unquote proper advice, it's so expensive to deliver now, right? And it's causing a bit of a friction because advisors want to help as many people as possible, but they also need to be like remain profitable, right? Yep. There's this, there's, there's a, there's dual purpose in being a planner. It's how, how to be, how to enjoy your job, how to help as many people as possible and how to also make as much money as possible for your company or for yourself. Um, so what do you think is the main problem getting in the road of delivering cost-effective advice right now i mean fundamentally it's the paperwork i mean <laughs> you know we, we can protect we can dance around it if you like but you know i remember joining the industry in the 1990s and the customer advice record was coming in and you know the world's going to finish we've got to do three pages of documents to, put, to, to substantiate the advice we've given you know the world will finish um <laughs> And, and, you know, back then, you know, the Financial Planning Association had been going for a little while and there was a six-stage process for giving advice and you produced a financial plan, which was a little bit longer than, you know, three pages. Whoa. Um, and then, you know, financial services reform came in and suddenly the financial plan was thrown in the bin, which was probably, you know, 12 or 14 pages. And we had these statements of advice, which became, back in those days, around 40, 50 pages. And we thought... Geez, this is going to be hard. And then, you know, bid came in and suddenly they're 80 pages long. Yeah. And, and not only that, you've got to keep, you know, um, every piece of documentation to substantiate what you've done in your file notes. And, you know, suddenly you go, so you've just walked into my office. You're 21 years old. You've just started working. You know, finished uni. 
and you say to me, what should I do, Neil? You're a financial advisor. And I go, well, look, I'm going to have to charge you three grand, mate. And I know you're only earning 45,000. And if I tell you anything, you're going to have to come back in about four weeks. And, and they're going, four weeks? I don't go on holiday for that long. <laughs> and then uh, when you do come back, I'm going to give you 80 pages of stuff that you can't understand. And all you really want to know is, should I buy some life insurance or not? Yeah. And, and there's no scalability. Well, technically there is, but nobody's doing it because they're so scared. And it's, it's like the, um, you know, the COVID relief. I don't know any financial planner who gave advice for 300 bucks. <laughs> and, and, and I suspect there's a fair bit of, well, look, have you thought about your options? You realize you need to satisfy one of the release conditions. Look, if you really need the cash, take it, but you've never seen me and I don't know what I'm talking about. Yep. <laughs> because if I say, look, I'll give you some advice on this. Oh, by the way, it's a record advice. Oh, but I've still got all my bid obligations. I still consider all of your circumstances and your family circumstances just in case. So, so that's the issue. Yeah. Is an 80-page document actually protecting the licensee, the advisor, the consumer? Is it adding more value and information to uh, than a four-page document? Yeah, I remember um, early on in my career, <clears throat> I'd sort of saw a client and uh, I went through their, their folder because, you know, it, was, it wasn't online. It was an actual folder. And, uh, and there, was from, there was a piece of advice from about 10 or 15 years earlier. And it was a handwritten, but it was a photocopy of a handwritten statement of advice or advice document, right? And I was like, oh, my God. And it was literally a couple of pages long. And I thought, I thought about all the reasons why it changed from that to what we have today. And if I break it down, it, it does come down to this concept of stopping any advisor who would like to rip off people, right? It, it just comes down to that. But then I always think, well, what happens if a piece of advice is given when no remuneration is earned via product, hmm. right? Right. So I'm not saying that has to be all advisors with all advice. I'm just saying in in the event that a piece of advice is issued, right? So let, let's say um, I'm an advisor um, and I take all different types of remuneration in my business model, but for one, one type of it, it's I don't take any commissions on investments, any commissions on super, any commissions on uh, insurance. I don't take um, percentage of funds under management. I don't take any fees even from a super account, right? So let's say no, not a single dime is received via a product. Why, oh, why do I have to provide a piece of advice that's this thick and got every single chance uh, that I'm not ripping off a client when it's, there is no hidden cost. It's just, here's the credit card statement or, or, or the URL that you go to, 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 to fill in the payment details, right? That's the total payment journey for that client. There's no chance of there being a, a conflict. So why do I have to produce a piece of advice as if at every single stage I'm managing a conflict? It's implicit that it's impossible. The, 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 again, and this is a level of granularity, is that, superannuation, not my north 
or panorama is the product. And, and so if you think about it strategically, your conversation with a young person would be, look, if you want to retire in 30 years' time with the same salary as you're earning now, you're broadly going to have to save every year 13.5%. This is not advice. Yeah. Uh, of, of, of what you earn and when you get pay rises to increase it. And what I would suggest you to is that you're going to have to contribute nine and a half, whatever percentage compulsory and subject to you not minding locking your money away. Superannuation is a good vehicle. You now have to give 80 pages. Yeah. Crazy. Right. As opposed to saying, look, strategically, you probably don't want to be buying more property because it's an illiquid asset and you're going to change career four times or five times in the next number of times. And when you need the money, it's bloody hard to sell, mm. particularly if it's a development site and it's not finished. Yeah. Um, you know, you need to think about some insurance because if you had an accident or you got sick, how much of your money do you spend at the moment? hundred percent. So maybe we should have some income. Oh, that's a product. <laughs> But there's almost a line between the strategy that should be very minimal documentation and the complex bit, which is I picked you know, Zurich instead of you know, AIA, or I picked this mortgage instead of that one. But the reality then would be nobody would be doing that product advice. Totally. <laughs> because you'd be charging where the value is. The value is strategically, this is what I'm going to do. And what I'm going to do is keep you on track for the next you know, 10 to five years when how long have a relationship. Yeah. I mean, technically it could operate in a doctor and chemist fashion. So the doctor provides the advice, gives the slip, right? And then you, you walk out, you know what you need to get and you go to the, the, the chemist and the chemist goes, well, do you want this one or do you want the house brand? Right? Like, do you, these are the different options and these are the different prices, but you're all, you, you're doing what the doctor has said. So they could, you know, be some sort of like, dispensary of, uh, you know, like a finder.com sort of thing. Um, that would get around a lot of the problems. Um, and Which then- is one of the things I think will happen. I mean, I joined the industry a long time ago now, but I'd been running a, a coaching and goal achievement business before that. And, you know, we talked about the, the clients, you know, holistic lifestyle, you know, health, wealth, family, spirituality, and so on. And, and eventually, you know, somewhere in that conversation, you'd be talking about, well, how are you going? When do you plan to retire? What does retirement look like? And none of this was like a product. It was actually when you stop working, what do you want to do? I don't want to stop working. Okay. Um, but yeah, but even back then, when they started saying, well, which supervaluation fund do you think I should be looking at? I don't know. I don't know. Go and speak to a financial planner. Yeah. But, but, but the reality was I was probably charging a lot more for my time than the financial planner was. Yeah. And, and the execution piece is, 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 is the cheap bit. And it's also the less valuable bit for the consumer. But somehow we've lumped them all together. So. Yeah. I mean, change is difficult to go through in real time for anyone anywhere. What's really interesting is I know people who have worked in uh, public service who have tried to do any form of change management in public service. And it's essentially impossible, right? Like it's just no matter how much money is thrown at it, it's just so difficult to change people in their ways that 
you can you can write off billions with a B of wasted money because of how hard change management is. And yet every angle just looks at financial planners and says, oh, you need to change in real time by this date. And what are you complaining about? And I think it's really appalling, actually. I think it's a, it shows an insanely low uh, understanding of human nature to, to expect so much change. And we're almost like <clears throat> financial planning isn't necessarily like a, a plaything of political you know, ping pong. Uh, however, it's, it, everyone just seems to constantly want to f- quote unquote fix it, but no one's doing a good job of it. And it, it bothers me from a fundamental basis because while everything might be academic to those in charge, I know of two financial planners who have, who are in the, um, in the XY community who have killed themselves in the last 12 months. Right. So to me, nothing is going to bring them back to life like that. It's such an intense uh, conclusion mm. for the, for those two individuals. And um, I, it just, it makes me probably makes me a little bit more forceful in my opinion on why do we keep doing this? And expecting a different result, uh, I know. I know many advisors have handed in their their license and gotten out of advice. I for those that are staying in it, uh, I know that many of them haven't taken on an ongoing client all year, right? So they've changed their business model. They're happy to do upfront advice, and so uh, and and that's not even including the AMP uh, issue that you've played a key role in, right? Like, to I know a couple of AMP planners that they were forced into this conundrum of whatever their options were. I can't even remember sell, buy, bloody blah, 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 blah. Um, The amount of just trauma that's been forced upon not everyone's life. Like I'll be clear on that. I know a lot of planners have succeeded in this time as well, but uh, it has taken out a few people and, uh, and I don't, it's not a measurement of success. I think in this environment, it's just a measurement of the impact of change of such drastic change in people's lives and none of that seems to be taking into it's just not getting taken into consideration and it's annoying the hell out of me neil yeah look uh, i mean we started talking about this two years ago i guess from a from our members perspective and it's 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 endemic across the profession so it's not it's, it's slightly more compressed in the mpfp world but it's it's in the hill ross world it's in the charter world it's across xy advisors across the whole industry the, the first thing is most financial planners i know did not join the industry thinking i can make lots of money here virtually every, I, I don't know one who doesn't say something along the lines I want to make a difference and I want to help people. Right? Yeah. And because of that, they've shown that whenever the regulations have changed and the rules have changed, there's been an enormous capacity to adapt and evolve their businesses. And, and they're all different, but they've been able to do that. The, the big difference right now is what we as a board call the three C's. The first is, do I still have confidence in myself and my ability to make a difference to keep reinvesting in my business? Yeah. 
and they see a light at the end of this tunnel. And, you know, the outcomes of that can be as devastating as, you know, your two people, or it can be, I'm just going to leave the industry and go do something else. Because if you don't have confidence about it, you, you won't continue to put the effort in, right? That then gets compounded by, do I have the capacity, you know? So I'm, I'm doing some additional studies. I've got a young family. I've got a growing business. I'm putting staff on. I've got COVID. I'm in lockdown. Yeah. And I've got, you know, fires here and I've got this, this and this. Just physically, there is 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. And I'm actually doing 40 days or 40 hours in a day, which I can do probably for about maybe a week or two. Yeah. But then I'm stuffed. Yeah. And then the, th- the third thing then is the capital value I have or the cash flow again diminished. Yeah. So I'm working longer, I'm making less money, and the value of my business over time is actually not improving. Yeah. So, you know, it, and uh, there's been other commentators about, you know, how many people are joining the industry because that's a pretty good indicator if you've got a healthy, vibrant, positive industry. But, you know, most of the financial planning graduates are not becoming, they're doing joint degrees and they're going off and being accountants or whatever. Yeah. And until we get that fixed, this will be the traditional number has always hovered about 24,000. It's looking as though you're going to get to 15, but 24 is, if you like, that's the baseline that you need for a healthy industry, a healthy profession. Yeah. And something needs to change quickly. You know, there's a, you know, when they talk about um, change management, you basically need to have something that's a, a, a change point. You, you've got, you know, a pivot. You know, there's lots of different words for it, but you can't keep doing the same stuff expecting a different outcome. Yeah. Yeah, the pivot, it's just, there's too many pivots uh, for financial planning in too short of a time. And I think it's completely underestimating um, human nature. Um, yeah, so, mate, uh, considering... You've, uh, you're the giant slayer himself, right? Pulling together the, the Advisors Association to take on Big Blue, the AMP. Um, so I'm definitely interested to see how uh, that court case comes out. That's been very interesting. Now, if you're able to, um, uh, you know, source the gumption to take on the Corpse Act and, uh, and, and remove, or I should say, uh, dissect financial planning from financial product, then mate, I will make sure that we uh, get in line with any strategy you come up with. I'll just leave that in your court, my man. Oh, two, two things can I add to that. One, it wasn't me that did the court action. <laughs> uh, and, and this is a really important thing. It's the fact that there's a whole bunch of advisors thought this was not fair, including the ones who are staying, right? They were the ones that said, this isn't fair. It's not reasonable let's do something about it. And, you know, when you look at the number of people registered, we don't know how many people registered, but, you know, based on the number that told me they've registered, it is a lot more than 100, like many, many times more. And I think that's exactly the same thing that we need to do as a profession is it's not going to be one person. It's not going to be XY advisor. It's not going to be the association. It's not going to be AFA. It's, we've got to get a common theme that said, what do we need to get this right? Yep. And adding more Band-Aids isn't going to fix it. We need to, it, it, it's t- nearly 20 years ago since FSR came in. 
right? That's a long time. Yep. It's not worked. Yep. We need to look at it again. Yep. Yeah, we, um, we've always made, XY's always said, uh, the only thing that we'll ever do in advocacy is, uh, is the tax deductibility with the upfront piece of advice. But <clears throat> if that becomes successful campaign, who knows? We might, we might, if it's something like, uh, in <laughs> it's, it's, if, if, it, if it's something as substantial as separating planning from product in the Corpse Act, um, who knows? I, that, that sounds like a challenge I'd be willing to, uh, to get involved in. So I, I think the Hain Royal Commission missed an opportunity. A huge one, but that, that's because it was run by lawyers and not, yeah. Uh, oh, anyway, look, I, they had good intentions. What can I say? They had good intentions. Anyway, mate, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it's great to catch up with you again. It's always very interesting because you've got such a experienced insight into financial planning uh, in this country. Um, so, mate, always a pleasure to chat. Thank you. Thanks, Lane. Take care. Cheers, mate. Bye for now.